Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We throw around words and ideas about technology, about disruption, about progress, and the impact of technology in speeding up our lives. The fact is that it's more than just technology. As we move to cities at increasing rates, as the workplace demands greater productivity, as global competition abounds, the pressures to speed up are everywhere. On the other hand, how fast is fast? And how fast exceeds our evolutionary biological ability to cope? And what happens to the anger of those left behind in the cloud of dust from creative destruction? These are just a few of the issues taken up by my guest Robert Colville in his new book, The Great Acceleration. Robert Colville is a regular commentator on politics, culture, and technology. He's been a UK news director at BuzzFeed and head of comment at the Daily Telegraph. He has a master's in international relations from Cambridge and has previously written about the Internet's political impact. It is my pleasure to welcome Robert Colville here to talk about his book, The Great Acceleration, How the World is Getting Faster and Faster. Robert, thanks so much for joining us. No, pleasure to talk to you. It's good to have you here. When we think about how the world is speeding up, how our lives are speeding up, we, we have a basic reflex that leads us to think that technology is, is 100% of the reason for that. But in fact, there's lots of other things that are going on in the world that are also responsible for this speeding up that's going on. Yeah, and you mentioned a few of them. I mean, the fact is, uh, cities, you know, when we're in a, you know, the, the larger our community, the faster our pace of life. It's one of those sort of, it's one of those weird um, sort of things about human nature. Um, they, they, they've, you know, if you if you sit there with a stopwatch and watch how long people take to to walk along the length of the street, you find that, you know, if you're in a city, if you're in a, you know, and also if you're in a kind of rich uh, individualistic market oriented country like the UK where I live or, or like the US uh, you tend to move faster when you look at that to, to what extent is that a new phenomenon or has it always been that way that cities always move that urban life moved faster it's just that the pace of it has now accelerated beyond a point that it is natural for us to cope with it I mean, it's it's always happened. I mean, there's a great quote in in, in the book. The um, the the average New Yorker in the 19th century was said to you know walk as though he had a good dinner in front of him and a policeman behind him. You know, there's uh, so they're, 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 you know so um, when they first uh, when people first started getting like stress related disorders around the same time, the sort of 1880s 90s, they they called it um, New York New Yorkitis because it was associated with the places where there was more hustle and bustle. But yeah, I think um, in sort of recent years there has been a step change. But where I slightly disagree with you is that you know you, you talked about sort of pressure and and yeah, some of this is imposed from outside, like you know the 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 fact that you know we we have we, we're carrying around phones which connect us to the office in the evenings and weekends. But a lot of it is driven by us. It's driven by our sort of biological craving for, for information and novelty and convenience. You know, we're, we're the ones who are frantically checking our phones every, every minute of the day. Of course, it's self-perpetuating in that sense. The more we check them, the more we get that dopamine rush, the more we need to check them again. Yeah, and... Um but yeah, it's. I mean, there's, you know, humans will will go to the same lengths to gain a novel experience as they will to you know find a mate. I mean, it's it's absolutely hardwired into us to 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 want to you know to 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 want things as quickly as possible. Of course, the overlay to all of this then is the technology that we talked about before that makes all of this possible, and then added on to that, the speed at which that technology 
and things related to it are constantly changing. Yeah. So the, the the metaphor I always use is, is the mobile phone. Um, I've got a I've got a, a one year old kid, and we still have toys for him, which are like a you know where the phone is this thing with a plastic dial on the front where you you turn it round, or a thing with buttons that you press, and that's you know to him that's not a phone. I mean, so a, a friend of mine who's got a slightly older kid, he caught his kid trying to trying to swipe on their wedding photo because it was a you know it was a silver frame of rectangular glass which he thought oh, that's obviously a computer that's obviously a tablet and you know in five or ten you know the the, the thing you're we're all carrying around in our pockets you know is so much more powerful than anything they could have imagined it's more you know the, like a dozen apollo modules lashed together and then in 10 years time it's going to be drastically more powerful still talk a little bit about those people that are not coping well with all of this change with all of this speeding up sure so i'm Overall, I'm optimistic about all this stuff, but you have to recognise that it's having a cost um, in young people. Rates of uh, you know people rates of sort of um, uh, narcissism and um, uh, mental mental health disorders are increasing. Stress disorders are, are becoming more common. So I, I think there's two things at work here. One is sort of basically healthy people who just get caught up in the rush and don't take the time out to sort of realize that they're moving a bit too fast you know to, who don't and you know and that you know it's really easy to fix that in you know things like meditation or exercise or just you know the, the, these sort of techniques of self-control turning off your iphone before bed and there's a second category of people who who aren't being sort of ruined by technology but it's more you know it's people who were already disadvantaged it's people who were already you know in broken families or you know who had addictive personalities or you know, um, we're prone to being bullied at school, or whatever it is. And what we seem to find is that technology, mostly because of, because of the sort of speed of communication, makes it easier for that to happen more quickly. So it's the same problems that people were having offline and would have had anyway, but they're sort of they're being acted out on the internet. And you know, and so these are things like you know, pro-suicide websites or pro-anorexia websites or or sexting or you know, cyberbullying, all all of these kind of things. They're not problems which are caused by the internet, but they're problems which are exacerbated by it. And then of course there's people that are angered by it, and we're seeing a lot of that in, in our politics today, not only here in the US, but throughout the world and in, in, throughout the Western world. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm in this I mean I'm in Britain where, you right. know, howl of rage you know, an un, a completely unexpected one given where the polls were uh, and you know where the sort of where elite opinion was against, you know, many things that are happening in the world. I mean if you know, if you're because the quicker the economy moves, the quicker life moves. Obviously, people do get left behind, and they get and they get angry about it, and they get frustrated, and you know, understandably so. The other thing that that's interesting in all this that you point out is that that even though things are moving at this rapid pace, that people still do, contrary to kind of popular and conventional wisdom, people do still have an attention span. They're willing to spend eight, nine, ten hours binge watching a program. They're willing to read books still, which, which have a bit of a resurgence. They're willing to read long magazine articles so that it's not completely disappearing in terms of people's ability to, to concentrate over long periods of time. In fact, in fact, you're right, and I, I think the two are intimately connected. I think what we're seeing is a is a polarization. Uh, you know that yes, things are going very, very fast, but the faster things go, the more we want experiences which allow us to 
to sort of set, set ourselves aside from that. So things like massage sessions or yoga classes would be, would be a great example. But also, you know, also books, you know, the, the length of bestsellers between 95 and 2005, the length of fiction bestsellers on the New York Times chart actually went up by like 100 pages. You know, so, I mean, likewise in journalism, if you see the, the pieces which get attention are either the really, really quick, short, stabby, grabby things or the absolute, or the kind of really long, in-depth, well-researched pieces that kind of just you know that you've saved for 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 an, for reading on on your way home or, or or at the weekend. One of the points that you make is that speed itself has a polarizing influence. Yeah, so it polarizes between fast and slow, and it also polarizes between between large and small. You know, we so you end up with giant companies like Amazon or Facebook, and and sort of tiny ones as well. And it and it, it it's it's slightly unfair because you know it polarizes a bit between rich and poor. You know, the people who are in already in a good position, you know, can really benefit from technology, and people who who aren't, um, you know, t- can can get left behind. And that's I think one of the things which is happening in politics, and it's one of the things we sort of need to we need to look for. And watch out for. At what point does the speed at which everything moves really exceed our, our kind of biological ability to deal with it? I think we can. I think we can surprise ourselves. So I thought my life. Well, I, I used to work at the Daily Telegraph, and I thought my life was moving as fast as it possibly could. And then I moved to BuzzFeed, and I was surrounded by these. You know, I, you know, there were these kids who were moving incredibly quickly. They were sort of had sort of eight different browser windows open. They'd be on sort of seven different messaging systems. But they were all incredibly bright, incredibly talented, incredibly well adjusted. Yeah, and they were incredibly, uh, you know, incredibly impressive. Uh, you know, scarily impressive, uh, in fact. But does there reach a point where we hit a wall, where we just can't go any faster? I think, I mean, especially in terms of our working lives, I, I think there definitely is. And I think there's a real growth industry, and I've, I've written about this, in sort of tools to keep us, you know, to, to you know, tools and techniques to help us cope with the flow. Because, you know, when you're trying to multitask, when you're darting between eight different things, when you're working, you know, just on, com, com, constantly on the treadmill, you're not, you know, you're not fulfilled as a person you're not healthy you're not creative you're not doing a good job and so but what you know but we we've now got a really good understanding of how of how that works and of the sort of techniques we need to use to to cope with the the the, the speedier flow what about the fragmentation of our time that it is so diffused in terms of the way we're, we we spend it yeah i think i think that's true but i don't i think it can be that can be sort of over Yes, I think I think is the answer. But I think you, know, you, you we mentioned the box sets earlier. I mean, I think you know people still come home and and slump in front of the TV for for, for several hours. People still go out for for walks in, on the weekend. I think I, I think there's a really real one of the sort of the, the the dangers of social media is that you can you know you always knew that there were parties going on elsewhere, but you couldn't you know see the guest list. You couldn't see everyone <laughs> saying, "I'm having such an amazing time." You know, so there's this real kind of you always feel that everyone else is kind of coping with life better than you are. But of course, you're putting up all these lovely pictures of yourself and your family in the park at, at the same time. When you look going forward, what of those things that you see on the horizon, particularly with respect to technology, that will really be the next leap in terms of creating greater acceleration in our lives? And maybe even making that acceleration easier, but nonetheless speeding it up. 
Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned, I think things like AI and right. chatbots and all the rest of it, one, one of the reasons Apple gave for introducing the Apple Watch was that it recognized that the iPhone was just pumping too much at you, that there were too many notifications taking up your time. So the idea was to have it as a filtering system. And I think... A, they're all. I'm not very impressed by them at the moment. Um, all the sort of the series and and stuff, because they're they're just smart enough to be dumb. But I think eventually they'll, you know, they will act as a thing of. They'll be able to work out what are the things we really want to know about and what are the things we really need to know about. But I mean, looking onwards, there's all sorts of innovations in you know genetic science or material science that are going to you know, tram, do have transformative effects. And also just the basic fact that. Over the next, over the last twenty years, and over the next fifty, you know, billions of people are be- getting drawn into the sort of world economy, the information economy. You know, the, the mobile phone penetration in Africa has gone from sort of one percent to ninety-five percent, and you know, and in China, they're building cities at a rate. You know, they're building. Beijing is sort of expanding to as many people as a third of the United States. And when, you know, and as, as we mentioned before, when people are in larger communities, they move faster. So I think there's going to be a real sort of globalization of acceleration uh, that happens over the next uh, few decades. Mm-hmm. And as the world starts to move faster, does that create more opportunities, more pressure around the world for pushback against it, for blowback against it, for, for more, more anger, really, as we talked about earlier? I think that's a real possibility. I mean, politics is one of the areas I'm really worried about because, you know, a, a faster world is more exciting, but it's also more fragile. I mean, the, more, the faster things are moving and the more connected they are, the, hard, you know, the, the worst, go, the, when something goes wrong, you know, it, it all sort of, it all goes wrong in an instant. And I think, you know, talking to politicians over here, it's, you know, there are so many issues now that cross borders that, you know, you need more than one country or government or leader to deal with. And, it's really, really, you know, and that's a slow process to get people to agree on stuff. And, you know, some, so when you have something like the refugee crisis in Europe, it's really, really hard to get everyone, to, everyone on the same page. One of the things that this goes to is this whole idea of information. You touched on it a little bit earlier. And just the, the need to process so much more information, so much more, as you said before, being thrown at us. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's statistics, you know, we now absorb more information. I mean, I'm not quite sure how useful the comparison is, but there are statistics about, you know, we now absorb more information in a single morning than a caveman did in his entire life. You know, this is kind of, uh, I I can't quite remember the exact um, thing. But yeah, there's no doubt that there is so much stuff out there. And and also, and we feel, I mean, we have this kind of with our our inboxes. I mean, I, I don't know whether you've had the same feeling, you know, we feel that pressure that we need to read everything, to respond to everything, to kind of, to answer all of these demands on our time. Rather, and that can be a, a dispiriting thing. What do we learn when we look at digital natives? If we look at millennials and even kids younger than they are, really the next generation that really grew up in this world and how they're dealing with it. What, what do we learn from that that might be helpful to all of us and how we adapt? I think it's a you can sort of read one book and they'll tell you that it's all awful and you read another book and they'll tell you people are basically fine. I mean, I think the, the message is, is, for me, the sort of message that comes through is that people are people and they're using technology to be the same kind of people they always have been. And, you know, so if, you, you know, it's gonna, if you're a parent, it gets, it's really hard because you're not going to be able to understand the, the tools your kid is using. You know, I, I'm 35 and I don't understand Snapchat. How on earth will I understand 
what they're using by the time my son grows up. And you automatically then assume that he's doing something bad on it. And you, you, but actually, I think the basics are still the same. You know, just be, you know, the, if we can just be sort of kind, nice people who talk to each other and sort of see each other face to face occasionally, then I, I don't think we're going to go far wrong. Or we have seen, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, and as you touched on, we've certainly seen a great and continuing migration towards cities. Are we going to see, as a result of this, the reverse happening at some point? People that just want to be off the grid, that are moving out of urban life? I, I think so. One of the things I think that make that contributes to the effect of cities going faster is that filtering effect, that some people don't want to go that fast and will and will move out. But I'm quite reassured by the cities thing because, you know, by now, theoretically, obviously, you know, with, with broadband and everything else, we should be able to work from home. We should be able to do, do you know, to hole up, each hole up in our homes. And yet we don't want to do that. We want to be near other people. We're a social species, you know, and, and it's when we're near other people. It's when we're sort of all walking around on the same streets or in the same bars or, or theatres. It's that then that, you know, ideas happen and creativity happens and, 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 and wealth is generated. So that's another reason to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Of course, that is the other overlay to all of this is the economic consequences, both positive and negative. Yeah. So as you know, so, so a faster life is correlated with greater wealth because of this thing I was talking about, because the more people you have bumping into each other, talking to each other, the faster the pace they're doing that at, the more ideas they have, the more companies they start, the more, you know, the, the more productive they are in their jobs. Robert Colville, his book is The Great Acceleration, How the World is Getting Faster and Faster. Robert, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you.